welcome to Australian Women Preach, a podcast that aims to raise women's voices in preaching the gospel. Our intention is to model the church we want to be, inclusive, diverse and welcoming. Brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church and The Grail in Australia. Muirhead has enjoyed a full career in education and formation in three Australian states and the United States, working with three to 100-year-olds. She's currently undertaking a clinical pastoral education placement at Peter McCallum Cancer Hospital in Melbourne, producing liturgical material and discerning, with God's help, her next most loving step. Anne's personal and professional trinity is the nexus between liturgy, pastoral care and social justice. Wamenjika, welcome. I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which I am presenting. I would also like to pay respect to Wurundjeri elders, past and present, and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from other communities who are listening with us today. This reflection focuses on the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the second half of Luke, chapter 9, verses 11 to 17, the gospel for the feast of the body and blood of Christ. Before looking closely at the gospel, I'd like to point out that the origin of this feast stretches back to a significant woman leader, Juliana, a Beguine or Anchoress, who lived in Liège, Belgium, at the beginning of the 13th century. Hidden from mainstream history, Juliana was a wisdom figure in her community, a woman whose vision inspired devotion to Christ's body and blood, present in the Eucharist, present among us, and present in our ordinary and extraordinary world. Juliana was a leader in a religious community of women and men, and is recognised as one of the first authors of the office, the rhythm of prayer at the heart of monastic communities and a daily anchor for many Christians. Juliana's faith was also expressed in her care for local lepers, so we encounter a woman who truly saw Christ's body and blood in the life experience of people on the edge of her community. Although today's scripture text mentions that 5,000 men were present with Jesus and the disciples, let us also recall the many women like Juliana, who through the ages have nourished us by sourcing basic loaves and fish and working with Jesus to feed the multitudes with their simple yet stunning gifts. Having settled into ordinary time, the liturgical year invites us into deeper contemplation of the post-resurrection landscape across these days. We are infused with God's spirit at Pentecost. We are invited into companionable yet dynamic relationship with creator and all creation on Trinity Sunday. And today we recognize ourselves in the disclosive actions of the Eucharist as people blessed, broken and shared out for our blessed and broken world. Today's well-known scene and story is painted for us at the end of Luke's description of Jesus' ministry in his home region of Galilee. 
With Jesus, we have encountered the healing and social restoration of women, children and men. We have been welcomed into his community with tax collectors, the sick, the disturbed and others pushed to the outer. In many ways, Jesus' preaching and healing ministry reaches a pinnacle in this gathering as crowd after crowd is drawn to his upside-down message of liberating love and radical inclusion. Again and again, Luke calls us to identify with Jesus, who is caring and tender toward those made poor and the powerless, the anxious and the afflicted, the hopeless and the hungry. Luke's Jesus overflows with mercy and compassion. So in this scene, we encounter Jesus' ever-expanding circle of followers and friends. Whereas the early part of Luke's gospel sees Jesus preach the good news on his own, across the course of the gospel, he gathers disciples along the way, gradually inviting women and men into the heart of his ministry. In this chapter, chapter 9, Jesus distributes his leadership among the disciples, although they still benefit from his guidance and oversight. So here we are, at the end of the day, away from local farms and villages. Darkness is falling in a deserted place. Maybe further indication that Jesus is most comfortable living at the edge of expectation, away from proximity to privilege and power. And who is with Jesus? Maybe those with no homes to go to. Maybe those who are ostracised, comfortable being displaced at the end of a day. Maybe those so immersed in Jesus' radical message that somehow all practical needs are subsumed. Luke paints a scene of people who have feasted on Jesus' words. By contrast to the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, we are not given details of Jesus' public words, except that they are concerned with the kingdom of God. The people gathered have witnessed Jesus' desire to heal and make whole again. They seem to be people who are comfortable in Jesus' presence and in solidarity with each other. They demonstrate a visceral bodily dependence on Jesus. I can really identify with a narrative depicting panicked disciples, probably tired and grumpy after a long day. The disciples feel depleted and are aware of the limited resources at their disposal. In the early part of this chapter, Jesus has been very clear with his friends about the rigour of discipleship, that they should take nothing with them as they proclaim the good news and cure diseases from village to village. And here they are, with nothing. To their credit, the disciples discern and articulate the pressing need before them. Their solution, however, is one of pragmatic dismissal, a response mirrored in other parts of the gospel, most notably when Jesus is swamped by excited children. Can't you just hear the disciples? What? So you expect us to do something about this situation? Really? After having listened to Jesus and to the needs of those assembled, the disciples are urged to act, to share and transform the resources before them with generosity and grace, creativity and compassion. Jesus not only speaks about and models hospitality, 
but he insists that those who are interested in God's reign must also demonstrate congruence between their words and actions. In this story, Jesus' words would ring hollow if they were not complemented by the visible, tangible example of his hospitality and companionship. Jesus' interest and love is lavish, but as we will come to see as Jesus turns toward Jerusalem in the next chapter, also costly. The latter part of this text invites the reader into the heart of the Eucharist. Jesus blesses, breaks, and shares out the simple gifts that have been presented to him. I love these actions. Jesus takes the bread and fish of our very lives, blesses us, is broken with us and shared out for the life of our world. As a person of faith, I love the challenge to constantly recognise God's blessings in my life, the life of my family, community, parish, workplace and amazing world. It is sometimes harder to discern God's presence in the many facets of brokenness that are experienced, from the personal to the political. However, in sharing both our blessedness and brokenness, we gain a glimpse of living Jesus' radical vision of a world, our entire creation, healed, made whole and holy. It might be a simplistic response to this gospel. However, I find myself asking, what are my loaves and fish, my small offering in my family, relationships, neighbourhood, workplace? And I ask God to help me discern the Spirit's presence and leading in my blessedness and brokenness daily and dutifully in prayer. The distressing experience of recent responses to the needs of our Ukrainian sisters and brothers has been a powerful example of the ways in which we respond out of our own liminality and love, our own loaves and fish. Some have opened their homes some have prayed and protested. Musicians and artists have moved us to our core. Journalists have risked their lives to convey the truth. Midwives have stayed in bunkers to assist pregnant mothers. Students have asked questions about power. Parishes have held bake stalls. Here, blessedness and brokenness interact and transform our own hearts and the heart of our world. Bread is broken, bodies are broken, blood is spilt, the wine of suffering and joy is poured out, and in our sharing, we become one. The week ahead provides a potent context for living Eucharistically as we mark Refugee Week. Now, nourished by Jesus' words, radical hospitality and the clumsy example of his disciples Maybe we can arise from our picnic rugs and gather in groups with friends who have journeyed to our land in search of the peace and promise for which we all yearn. Maybe we can be ever open to the blessings our friends bring to our land, communities, neighbourhoods, churches and workplaces. Maybe we can align our brokenness with the struggle and suffering of our sisters and brothers fleeing Afghanistan, Myanmar, Ukraine, Sri Lanka, Iraq, and Yemen. Maybe we can model the radical hospitality of Jesus 
in providing a fair and faith-filled welcome to recently arrived Australians living without access to social benefits, the dignity of work, healthcare, and the plethora of privileges that so many of us enjoy. Maybe we can share Jesus' radical, wasteful love that provides us with more than we ever really need. With Jesus, may we learn more and more about the art and heart of hosting. With Jesus' friends, may we all eat of the one bread and be satisfied. We are the body of Christ, the heads, hearts and hands, eyes and ears, heart and hope for our world, always blessed, broken and shared out. And with all God's people and all God's creation, let us say, Amen. You have been listening to Australian Women Preach, brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church, and The Grail in Australia. You can find out more about WATAC at watac.net.au and The Grail at grailaustralia.org.au. The music in this podcast is from the song Truth, from the album Into Silence, by songwriter, musician, theologian and teacher Danielle Ann Lynch. You can hear the full version on Spotify. Spotify.